It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. The show's on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts like Spotify, Himalaya, Podbean, Stitcher, whatever your favorites are. Or you can simply find this show by asking your smart device like Siri, Alexa, Google Home, whatever. Play podcast Locked on Vikings. Tell it those words and it'll take you right to the most recent episode. And today, we unfortunately have to dive deep into the frustrating and extremely uh, heartbreaking loss to the Kansas City Chiefs on a last-second field goal in Arrowhead. And so here's how we're going to do this, because I kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday, and this is kind of my takeaway from this. It's a close loss, right? And whenever it's a close loss, it's not really going to be that hard to go into anybody's game and find three more points in it, right? You can overturn one play, one bad ref call, right? One bad drive. There's a whole bunch of things that you could say, oh, if only it f- weren't for that, the Vikings would have won. And that's kind of just the nature of a three-point game. It's just not hard to find three points if you have hindsight benefit. So the way that I want to approach this is I, I have kind of compiled a list of what I think all those moments are, right? And I, I asked you guys on Twitter, you guys helped me kind of compile some of these things. So thank you everybody who participated in that and replied to my, my question. And so instead of like bemoaning all of these things and just like complaining for a half an hour, let's actually go through all of these things and see what we can actually like create a productive takeaway from. So like, let's pretend that maybe we're on Zimmer's staff and we've been tasked with going through this game and coming back and reporting a whole bunch of suggestions and and ways to potentially improve the team based off of this loss. What can we learn and what can we improve moving forward? And so that means we have to kind of take all these moments and themes and plays and things and kind of figure out, like, which ones can we actually take something productive from? Which ones can be fixed in the first place? And which ones is it actually fruitful to fix? And like I've kind of alluded to, the list is really long. So we're going to spend the whole show doing this, and I think it's an appropriate way to kind of go deep into this game, talk about some of the film and the stats and stuff in this context. And so after compiling everything that you guys said and adding a few of my own and some of the things that you guys said, I've kind of combined into something. So if you did reply to what I asked on Twitter make no mistake, you are represented in here somewhere, even if you don't hear, like, exactly verbatim what you said. So, in no particular order, here's the list that I came up with of all the different things that could be reversed to potentially turn this from a loss into a win. Buckle up, this baby's long. Uh, the first one is not targeting Diggs enough, of course. I mean, he didn't have as productive of a day, and, and he was open downfield, it turns out, so that's definitely a thing. Um, just doing better against Tyreek Hill, And a lot of people talked about like corner technique in general, how they were playing too much off coverage or they were leaving Tyreek Hill one-on-one with Waynes too often. The two specific plays at the very end of the game that set up the game-winning field goal, the second and 17, that throw to Kelsey, and then the ensuing third and four that ended up getting caught by Tyreek Hill, they caught him in a blitz. Similarly, the end-of-half two-minute drill, the three passes at the end of that drive, the Vikings threw at the end zone three times, they were all three incomplete, they ended up kicking a field goal. A lot of people mentioned just Pat Elfline in general and benching him, and I think the interior offensive line like as a whole was a problem, but I'm going to kind of focus on Elfline for that one. Speaking of, there were a couple of key penalties that really kind of hosed the Vikings. There was the illegal man downfield on uh, Garrett Bradbury that wiped out a big long screen. There was an illegal hands-to-the-face by Josh Klein 
line that wiped out a big play and put the Vikings way behind the chains. And then just a couple of general officiating things that I kind of talked about yesterday. There was the missed extra point. Ended up changing a whole bunch of game theory stuff throughout the, the rest of the game. Some people just wanted play calling to be different. And they had a lot of different ideas for how to do it, like calling more screens. And some people just generally, I saw some people say they should have rushed more. Some people say they should have passed more in certain situations. So I guess I'll just lump that all into kind of like generally bad down and distance management. Obviously, the big 91-yard Damian Williams run, if you wipe that out and turn it into a three- or four-yard gain or whatever, that probably changes a lot. A lot of people just kind of said, like, early down inefficiency, which I think is too general, but it came up a lot, so I'm mentioning it. A lot of people said, hey, you know, if they recover one or two of those fumbles, which makes sense, that definitely would have changed things. I threw in just contested catches in general. The the game really seemed to be, uh, a lot of the catches in the game on both sides of the ball seemed to be contested and pretty much just came down to who won at the catch point and the Chiefs just won too often. There's, of course, the Thielen injury. If you wipe that out, the Vikings probably have a much better chance on a lot of these plays. There is, of course, the Cousins accuracy problem and uh, the Cousins slide on third and six. He's getting kind of roasted nationally for that one and it is kind of funny looking with the yellow line. And then that one long ball to dig that was just outside of his reach that he didn't quite get in that those are the things that I came up with and uh, a lot of people came up with other like specific instances of stuff like that that I kind of had to you know lump in under the heading of one of those other things but I think that basically encompasses all the stuff that went wrong in the game that you could like reasonably get rid of and the Vikings would have won and some of it's the Vikings fault some of it isn't some of it is the fault of certain players or not or whatever and we're going to go through all of that but I wanted to just kind of like vomit the list out there first so that you could kind of orient yourself and uh, get a sense for how we're going to go through this. So there's a bunch of these that I don't actually think are fruitful to fix or possible to fix. And it's really important with a game like this to not learn the lo- the wrong lessons, like with Mike Zimmer and his fourth down strategy, which, oh, that's another one that I should talk about, like maybe right now. A couple weeks ago, uh, Mike Zimmer goes for a fourth and one in his own territory and ends up giving up a field goal because the QB sneak doesn't work. This time he has three fourth and one opportunities in his own territory. He doesn't go for any of them, even though he probably should have. And it seems like, you know, he just learned the wrong lesson from those failures. The lesson being you should execute your sneaks better and get better at those rather than just abandoning the entire concept altogether. So that's definitely one that I would pitch, but we kind of talked about that yesterday. But a couple of the play calling criticisms is where I want to uh, start with here. For in, in terms of calling more screens, the Vikings did call a bunch of screens. I mean, they called like six or seven screens. And at a certain point, I mean, you can't call a screen every play, right? Like you have to call it in a certain amount of moderation. Otherwise, they will just stop working for their own reasons. And in the second half, they brought out screens like a whole bunch. In fact, one of the worst plays of the game happened on a tight end screen to Irv Smith where he lost like seven yards on it. And that to me kind of signifies that like the Chiefs were reading the screens they were on to you and adding more of them probably just would have made it worse. I also think that the whole idea of like a run past dichotomy to describe the play calling in this game is not really helpful because the the chains were a huge factor in how often the Vikings would run or pass. And because of a whole bunch of failed first down plays, both poor runs and poor passes, uh, that meant that the Vikings were behind the chains a lot, and you can't really run on third and ten, right? And unfortunately, there were a lot of plays that were like prohibitive down and distances that were kind of pass-only situations. I'd also put the extra point in this category because for one, there's not really a fix for that, right? You just kind of say like, hey, don't do it. Or if there is something that Dan Bailey did wrong on that, then I'm just not good enough at analyzing kicking to understand it. But I also don't think that fixing that changes the outcome of the game, both because 
you know, if if Andy Reid is down four with three and a half minutes and has a fourth and 27 in field goal range, he's still taking that field goal. So it's not like you would force them to go for a fourth down that they otherwise wouldn't have. And I don't really feel confident saying that if you get the ball up 24 to 23 with two and a half minutes left, that the Vikings could have reasonably run out the clock there the way that their offense had been playing in the second half. The run game wasn't there and I could have really easily, I could really easily see that one going, you know, three plays and out and giving the Chiefs the exact same positioning. Considering the shanked punt, I don't know if it, I just don't think it helps that much. I've spoken on the bench elf line point a lot before. Uh, I just don't think that the other guys on the roster are better. Uh, that's not me saying that elf line is good or that he's even playing at a starting quality right now because he's not. He was horrible in that game. Nobody is arguing that. But the idea that uh, anytime a player is bad, that the backup must be better, I think is wrong most of the time. The backup's even worse. And the problem here is that they don't have two starting quality guards on the team, and they haven't for years. That's what we should be up in arms about, not that they are somehow wrong about Brett Jones, which you haven't seen him play in like two months, so how would you even know? But I would think that if the Vikings had any sort of high opinion of Dozier or Jones or Samia or any of those guys, they would have started challenging for that position back in August when Pat Elfline got smoked in that Seahawks preseason game. And I think the fact that that didn't happen should be an indicator that benching Elfline isn't really on the table, or if it is, it has to get a lot worse before we're talking about it. One of the coverage points that I was seeing a lot was playing more aggressive press coverage uh, as a way to combat deep routes, and I want to clarify that I don't think that that does a very good job of combating deep routes. I, I get that, you know, give up less deep balls should definitely be a goal. I don't think press coverage is the way to do it, even though it jams them and maybe, you know, ruins the timing of their routes. A lot of those routes are a little bit less timing based than like, you know, drive concepts or hitches or stuff like that, that the Chiefs got plenty of production on those too. So, maybe, you know, pick and choose your spots. But trying to jam a receiver like Tyreek Hill at the line of scrimmage actually exposes you to getting burned deep more often because if you blow that release and if they get if they get past you on the jam, then, you know, they can just streak down the field and get an easy touchdown. So playing more aggressive press coverage, I don't I think it hurts you more than it helps you. And I think, you know, going in hindsight and saying, okay, how could we have covered them better is going to be a little bit more complex than saying, uh, you know, just like work in more press. I think that's one that has to kind of be tackled play by play. And further, you know, the way that other teams are going to attack the Vikings might not be the same way that the, the Chiefs attacked the Vikings. So it doesn't really make sense to like start committing to press coverage because really what you should be trying to do is looking at what Dallas is going to do and try to counter that. Now, we're going to go through all of the rest of the things on the list, but first, let's talk a little bit about Blue Chew. Fellas, it's incredibly important to take every part of your relationship seriously, and that means putting in the work and putting in the effort. And so why pass up the opportunity to engage in a little bit of self-improvement? That's why you should check out Blue Chew. It's the first chewable tablet of its kind. It has the same active ingredients as like Viagra and Cialis, so you kind of know what you're getting into here. But as it's a chewable, it kicks in twice as fast, which means that much less waiting around when the moment's right. Blue Chew is made right here in the United States, and it ships directly to your door in a nice discreet package, so there's no awkwardness, there's no pharmacy, there's no waiting, and skipping all those steps means it's a little cheaper, too. Listen, Blue Chew is not just for, like, men of a certain age who maybe need a little boost. This is for anybody who's just looking to make themselves a little bit better for the sake of somebody they love, and who can say no to that? So, go to bluechew.com right now, and if you enter promo code Locked On. You can try it for free. That's BlueChew, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors 
over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash LOCKEDONNBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Calm. All right, let's continue, shall we? So the other thing that I'm going to throw out, and this one might be frustrating, is the 91-yard touchdown. Mainly, not because it wasn't a really bad, like, sequence of mistakes or because, you know, the Vikings don't deserve to be criticized. They do. But in terms of this exercise where I'm trying to find something fruitful to, like, present to the staff in this hypothetical, I don't think there's much to present here because it's really hard to get a mistake like this again. Zimmer called out four different Vikings that made a mistake there. Barr for going too wide, I think it was Barr. Uh, Daniel Hunter for crashing too far inside, leaving this really wide gap, and then both the safeties for missing the tackle and being out of position. It takes a lot for a run like that to happen, and so I can pretty safely go back and say, hey, listen, you know, tell them what mistakes they made, but so long as four people don't make a mistake on the same play again, we should be good, and that's pretty unlikely. So there's a few that I just don't think can be fixed or were just such products of luck that it's not really worth trying to take any action against. For example, fumble luck. Fumble luck is completely random. And yes, if fumble luck went better for the Vikings, the Vikings probably win the game. But I can't exactly go and say, hey, you should recover more fumbles because that's basically, I mean, the ball is funny shaped. You never know which way it's going to bounce. And it's pretty much a matter of who it bounces toward. And data actually backs this up. People have done studies and said, hey, are some teams better than others at recovering fumbles? And over the long term, the answer is a resounding no, everybody pretty much evens out. Similarly, uh, losing a lot of contested catches to guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They are extremely good contested catch receivers. And so if I were to try to say, you know, hey, we need to get better at something, contested catches isn't really the answer I would have because I don't know if you're going to run into a team for the rest of the season that have contested catch receivers like Hill and Kelsey. They are literally two of the best in the league. With the Thielen injury, in hindsight, you probably should have just kept him shut down, though that doesn't really help you win this game, right? Because then you wouldn't have had him for the whole game, uh, though it probably was better to not have him for future games to shut him down. But again, I can't go and like present, hey, you should get Thielen back sooner because, I mean, that's obviously going to be up to the doctors and to the state of his, his hamstring. So not a lot of productive conclusions we can bring from that. I kind of feel the same way about penalties, especially the Bradbury illegal man downfield. Now that one was caused, I can actually like present something that would help there because that was caused by the screen that was called on the play took too long to develop. Irv Smith took too long to come off of the block. He's supposed to basically chip and then release and, and be in position to catch the screen, but he took too long to do all that. And Garrett Bradbury and all of the offensive linemen essentially have a certain timing that they've been practicing and trying to get down and get in sync, but they have to trust 
pretty much blindly. They don't have time to look behind them that, you know, the screen is going to be thrown by the time they are making their, their way downfield. And they've been taught a certain timing that it's supposed to be. So when Irv Smith takes too long and Kirk Cousins then has to wait too long to throw it, then Garrett Bradbury is going too far downfield. Now, I don't think that that happened on this play because I think the refs just actually botched the call. I don't, I think that when the, the ball was released, Garrett Bradbury was well within the, uh, the, the bounds of ineligible man downfield. But that wasn't the only screen that struggled with timing, specifically with Irv Smith, which actually was uh, Nick Olson who pointed out that like, oh, hey, maybe this is why they haven't been throwing screens to him and they've been throwing him to Rudolph instead because Irv Smith doesn't quite have the timing down right, which is actually a really fair point that kind of refutes something I've been complaining about all year. And I guess I would also just kind of say, hey, maybe it, it makes sense to polish offensive and defensive line technique. The Vikings have been getting a ton of hands-to-the-face penalties and doing a little bit of a polish on, on arm technique and hand punch technique to make sure that you, you know your hands aren't going too high might be a, a fruitful exercise. So enough coming, uh, enough throwing this stuff out and making excuses. Let's talk about the things that went wrong in this game that I think can actually be fixed this week right now that, that can basically make the Vikings a better team going into Dallas. And the first thing I want to talk about is the Cousins accuracy issues. So Cousins actually addressed this after the game. Uh, I posted a compilation on Twitter of some of the worst throws that he made. He was really, really inaccurate short. You might remember a whole bunch of like kind of flat routes and, and check downs to the running backs that he was actually sailing or just being generally inaccurate on. Some of the ones that I chose might have been sneaky throwaways. It's kind of hard to tell, hard to guess intention, right? Uh, But there were definitely enough in there that were just blatantly poor passes that just like didn't hit the mark. And so what's going on with that? And it turns out there is like a, a good mechanical explanation for this that Kirk Cousins is aware of because he explained it after the game. So instead of taking it from me, why don't you just hear him explain it directly? I think it was not so much back foot, but like um, my, my hips are open to the middle of the field reading a post route or a far cross. And then I've got a flat to my right. And rather than flip my hips, you know, throwing it from that open position, trying to make that throw. And I think that contributes to the ball being high. And, and, and I think as a quarterback, you take pride in being able to make all the throws without having to move your hips, you know, being able to just shoulder turn and, and throw the ball. But, uh, you know, certainly you go back and look and say, hey, should I just flip my hips there and gotten the ball? I think one of them, the guy was on a, on a stunt and got in there, but another one, you know, could have probably done that or at least, uh, you know, I, I, again, take pride in throwing it accurately regardless. So you got to make the throw, you know, because good quarterbacks, you know, they don't have a base and they can still make the throw. Peloton has a limited time offer. Get $100 off of accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com and use promo code LOCKED to get started. While we're dogpiling on Cousins, there were a bunch of vision issues in this game. This one was actually on par with the Bears game, in my opinion, in terms of just missing downfield receivers, misdiagnosing coverages, misdiagnosing cornerback leverages. It was a really weirdly off game for Cousins, and it's definitely the kind of game that he always has in him, and you're always at risk of seeing, and we kind of got used to a whole October without it. But for example, the end of half two-minute drill, those last three plays where the Vikings took three end zone shots, three incompletes, and they kicked a field goal. On the first one, shout out to uh, Crosserific on Twitter for helping me figure this out, uh, it was cover zero, which means that the... Chiefs were bringing a big old blitz, and when they bring a big old blitz, you usually have an alert or a hot route, or uh, there is somebody that you're supposed to throw at pretty much immediately if they bring a big blitz, and most play designs, not all, but most have something built in that will naturally work against a big giant blitz like that, so you're technically always covered by it, and that's why some quarterbacks like Drew Brees are actually like 
the kind of quarterbacks you can't blitz because they always find the hot route. So on that first and, and 10 from the 11-yard line, the one that they actually ended up reviewing for to try to find a pass interference but didn't, which was really weird, Amir Abdullah was breaking open on a, a dig route, an in-breaking route about 10 yards down the field, maybe 8 or 9 yards down the field, and if Cousins hits him on the break, he can waltz in for a touchdown. Instead, he tries to throw a post, which I actually don't hate. It kind of seems like Rudolph has the cornerback leverage, but he loses uh, at the at the route break, and he ends up stumbling and falling over, and it uh, ends up going to nobody. Then later in that same drive, Kirk ends up uh, kind of locking in to one half of the field, where there are routes breaking open on the other half of the field, but at this point he seems kind of rattled by pressure, and while the pocket is collapsing, I think he still had time to turn his hips and fire the ball to the right side, but he rushes the throw, and he ends up throwing to a double-covered digs for uh, incompletion, and the Vikings are bringing out the field goal unit. Similar things happened throughout the game when it came to specifically finding Stefan Diggs deep. If you recall, there was a moment on the broadcast, if you watched it on TV, where Diggs and Cousins, after a third and 14 that they failed to pick up, they were kind of having a, a, an emotional exchange or like an animated exchange on the bench over the over the tablet. Turns out on that play, Diggs was breaking wide open on a deep corner and Kirk Cousins would have had a fairly free bomb touchdown. Essentially, this was seven heaven, the same uh, route concept on the right side that uh, the, the three corners out of the bunch formation, the same one that resulted in the Minneapolis Miracle, which is fun and ironic. I would keep it in the playbook too, but they dialed it up on this third and 14 and the Chiefs rotated their coverage the wrong way, which meant there were actually only two defenders on the right side ready to defend the three corner routes. One started breaking down toward Treadwell, who was the check down, and then that left uh, the cornerback in conflict between Diggs and I think the other guy was uh, Ola B.C. Johnson. It might have been Irv Smith. But basically, you had a one-on-two with the cornerback having to choose between either the deep corner or the less deep corner, and Kirk Cousins threw to the check down, which would have been covered, and also threw flat-footed and botched the throw. Like, it was just one of the worst plays of, of his season. If you recall the one where he missed that throw to Thielen, that he Thielen ended up kind of like stretching out and diving for, I think it was like the second play of the game, Diggs was also breaking open on a deep post. And this one was like a really long ball. It would have been a really difficult throw to hit. But if I'm the quarterback's coach, I'm telling him on Monday, hey, take that one every single time. So I think something needs to be recalibrated here with the way that Kirk Cousins is reading the field. I think he made amazing reads and the Vikings were able to kind of get into a rhythm with him in those October wins. But this this was a regression back to who Kirk Cousins was in the Bears game and the Packers game and so on and, and all of the grades and stats and stuff kind of reflect that as well. But the reasons also kind of reared their ugly heads again. And that's super discouraging because it would have been nice to, you know, have that kind of be in the past. And if new problems crop up, then so be it. But it's discouraging to see the same mistakes coming back over and over. With the third and sixth slide, the really funny one where he, uh, you know, slid like a yard or two before the first down marker. Um, I actually am super in favor of quarterbacks diving more. It's actually safer because you're less susceptible to that. Uh, the, the one that comes to mind is the LaMarcus Joyner on Teddy Bridgewater a bunch of years ago where Teddy slid and then Joyner kind of still was like lowering his head and hit him anyways and gave him a concussion. Got a 
huge flag for it and stuff, but you still don't want to expose your quarterback to that. And actually, if you dive, you are less likely to take hits. They have done a bunch of research on this and you take fewer hits in general if you dive forward and you also end up getting more yards. So if I am, you know, going to present like solutions to things, I'm going to the quarterback's coach and saying, hey, Clint, make Kirk Cousins start diving on these instead of sliding. It'll end up being, you know, more fruitful in the long term and will help his longevity. I'd also tell them, you know, not to come off of the uh, the deep go route down the sideline, the one that Diggs barely didn't catch. That was kind of a luck-based thing. You know, it's luck where the wind takes that one. And at a certain point, you know, you can be accurate within a little bit, but that was inches out of the way. You know, I mean, inches one way or another, that's just variance, man. One thing I'd like to fix in terms of Zimmer's tendencies is uh, third and medium. I don't ever want to blitz. I think he kind of gets beat on that a lot. He, he'll get beat by slants and hitches and stuff on a blitz, especially if it's the kind of blitz that the quarterback can diagnose. So that final play, that third and four that set up the final game winning touchdown, you might remember the Vikings sent seven people on a blitz and then Tyreek Hill caught a hitch route over the middle of the field, the same part of the field that was vacated by blitzing defenders. So Zimmer definitely like got got there, but I think it's way too easy to get got when you send seven on third and four, because for one, it's difficult to disguise a seven man blitz, right? Like you can have them line up uh, a little bit further back, but then they're not going to get to the quarterback fast enough to actually get home because when you blitz seven, somebody's going to be open really, really fast, which means you need to sack the quarterback really, really fast. But if you line them up all on the line of scrimmage, then the quarterback's going to make a change and dial up one of those hot routes, and then your blitz is going to be beat anyways. And that's what happened on the latter is what happened on this play. Matt Moore diagnosed the blitz because I think it was maybe Barr. It was maybe Harrison Smith who was creeping up a little too much, kind of gave away the game. And Matt Moore said, all right, they're blitzing. Here's my blitz counter. And he sends a, sig sends a signal to Tyreek Hill and Tyreek Hill sends the signal down to the other two wide receivers. And then Hill runs a easy little hitch route. And basically the Vikings gave up third and ball game for free. And I just don't like that in that down and distance. I think four yards is just too easy to gain on a blitz hot route. Now on third and 10, third and nine, third and eight, where uh, a, a hot, you know, blitz route doesn't like immediately convert. I'm all for it. Go get aggressive. And I'm usually for aggressive play calls. But I think in that case, I would have rather just played straight up man to man and just tried to win mano a mano. Again, I think the Chiefs, like I said yesterday, the Chiefs just did a better job of putting the game in the hands of their players. There was also the play right before it. If you recall, there was a sack and uh, a fumble that Matt Moore recovered, and then they lined up for second and 17. Or no, I think Damian Williams recovered it. At any rate, it was second and 17, and they, they throw an in-breaking route to Ty uh, Travis Kelsey. And on that one, I think it was a difficulty in uh, Mackenzie Alexander's outside technique, which I don't think like requires an action item of any sort. I think, I mean, Mackenzie Alexander's in the slot most of the time anyways. So, you know, having him work on his outside technique is probably a waste of practice reps, but I guess still worth identifying uh, that he ended up on the wrong side of the receiver and he ended up with his hips facing outside. Your hips are supposed to be facing inside because, uh, you know, if you are, if he does break outside and then you're facing the wrong way, you have the sideline to help you. Whereas the other way around, you don't really have that. So you're supposed to kind of trail on their outside hip with your hips facing inside. And then when they break inside, you can break with them and then take the route away. Xavier Rhodes is amazing at this. 
but Alexander has his hips flipped the wrong way, so when Kelsey breaks inside, Mackenzie Alexander's completely turned around, and he gets a bunch of separation, and then it's easy to go get, I mean, what, 13 back of second and 17? Really bad in a clutch situation. And then the general idea of bracketing Tyreek Hillmore, I don't have time to go over every Tyreek Hill catch. I kind of wish I did. It's it's all very interesting, but yeah, they did do a great job. Uh, Andy Reid did a great job of getting Tyreek Hill one-on-one with a cornerback. It was often Waynes. It wasn't always Waynes, but the way he did that was essentially by running route concepts that kind of enticed the safeties to crash downfield or to come over to the other side of the field. And then you ended up with, you know, Tyree Kill one-on-one on the backside of a play or something. And Tyree Kill, route runner and speedster that he is, is going to be able to beat Trey Waynes more often than is comfortable. And he can also win at the catch point. So that just kind of creates a whole bunch of like win-win situations for Kansas City. I think that fortunately, you know, the Vikings aren't going to see a play caller like Reed again for at least until like the playoffs and you're talking about like Sean Payton or like Sean McVay or whatever. But again, it's kind of worth, you know, raising that as a concern like, hey, you know, Andy Reed kind of got the better of your defensive alignments and, and maybe there's something beyond my base of knowledge that they can do to adjust for that kind of thing and make sure that, you know, there's a little bit more help on the side of wherever their best players are. I think the Vikings on offense have done a decent, not perfect, but I I like the way that they've kind of described things where they talk about, you know, we design plays for players and not necessarily for, you know, like play designs. You know, they design things to get Diggs and Thielen one-on-one on on the outside. And I think they could do with, you know, making some, some tweaks to their defense to prevent those same one-on-one against their best player situations from coming up. But obviously there's only so much you can do. The Vikings played sides in this game with their cornerbacks, so they didn't have Xavier Rhodes go shadow Tyreek Hill. A lot of that has to do with how Rhodes has been playing lately. And so if Rhodes can get back to form, you can start shadowing again. Maybe this problem just goes away. But that is the kind of thing that you sacrifice when you stop having Xavier Rhodes shadow. But, like, that's not a really satisfying answer because it's like, all right, yeah, to fix the Tyree Kill problem, you need, I don't know, like, one of the three guys in the league that can cover Tyree Kill. And that's not satisfying, but I don't know if there is a satisfying answer to Tyree Kill. He's Tyree Kill. But I would hope that, you know, with Amari Cooper coming down the pipe next week, Cortland Sutton kind of having a breakout season, I mean, there are going to be premier wide receivers. They have to deal with Marvin Jones again, who always suns the Vikings. Hopefully, they'll kind of figure out a way to get fewer one-on-one situations with the other team's best guy in a favorable spot. So that ended up with like six or seven things that I could like go present to the coaching staff and say, hey, here's what I would suggest that you change. I think that that would be a pretty fruitful exercise. And I think that 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 helps me, you know, make a little bit of peace with this Chiefs game, because obviously there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can blame. And instead of just like using it to confirm whatever prior I want to confirm, I I feel pretty good about saying, hey, here's what I would change. Here's what I don't think is fixable. Let's go play Dallas. And that is what we're going to do for the rest of the week. Tomorrow, I am going on with uh, Locked On Cowboys. That's going to be for uh, Crossover Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we'll go very deep into the Cowboys and everything that's going on down in Dallas. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find the show anywhere you find your favorite podcasts or just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. I will see you all tomorrow for Crossover Wednesday. And as always, Skull. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners. This is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.